And if you have a Bible that you brought with you, go ahead and open it to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Today we're wrapping up a series that we've been doing for the last four weeks, a little mini-series as Nate has been on sabbatical, and uh, he will be back with us next week, which I'm very excited to see him again. Um, and so uh, we've been praying for him, that his time away from us has been restful and rejuvenating and good, and uh, I hope that you've been praying for him in this time as well. Um, before I get into my sermon and get started, I want to uh, let you know about some news um, that uh, I don't know how, like which direction you have to drive from uh, to get to this place, but if anybody that has to drive past Bullet Central High School, you might have noticed a few banners up today. And so I don't know for those of you that know that uh, almost as soon as we were like finalizing our departing stages away from Bullet Central and the, the season of our church's life that started there, a different church plant was contacting Bullet Central saying, hey, we're going to plant a church in Shepherdsville too. I think their name is Grace Community Church. Uh, they're a church plant from South Louisville. And, um, and so I was driving past. I saw some guys out there putting up banners. And so I just pulled off and talked to them for a little bit and asked them, you know, what are y'all doing? How are things going? And they said that Today is like their first preview service that they're doing for their team that's going to be a part. Yeah, yay, absolutely. We need to celebrate that. So here's the thing. As a church, it would be extremely narcissistic of us to only celebrate the things that we do. We celebrate what God is doing in his kingdom. And we know that as part of that kingdom, he doesn't work through just our church. He works through other churches. And so I had a chance to sit there, talk to them, encourage them. Let them know, like, hey, look, you guys are in for a wild ride. <laughs> this is going to be fun. And then I got a chance to pray with them, too, and, and hopefully encourage them on their first day. And what I want to do right now, I actually want to open our service. I want to pray for them uh, and what they're doing this morning. God, we know that you are a God that is much bigger than just us. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us a vision as a church to care for more than just the things that we are doing in our church and in our life. God, I pray for the leadership of Grace Community Church as they are holding their first preview service today. Lord, I pray that your word would encourage them. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would embolden them. And God, that this would be another church in Shepherdsville that is working towards the goal of claiming souls into your kingdom. Father, would you bless them in their efforts? Would you give them assurance. God, would you give them longevity and endurance for what is undoubtedly going to be a very difficult season of their church's life. Father, would you found them on the hope that is found only in Jesus Christ in your word. Father, we are so excited to see what you are going to continue to do in our town through your universal church, not just this one local church. Father, help us have a mind to work together as churches, to love one another, to serve with one another, fulfilling the, the nooks and crannies that only each individual church can. God bless them and their efforts. Make them fruitful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So continue to pray for that church. They're going to need it, as we have learned ourselves. So, Romans 12, what we've been doing in this series, if you've uh, opened your Bible to Romans 12, we've been going through this series, and uh, what I've told you time and time again is that the reason 
we have done this. We've taken this four-week break from the book of Luke in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. We've done this because there is a pervasive culture in Bullitt County, in Kentucky, in the southern part of the United States that has a kind of nominal Christian faith, that uh, a faith that says all you have to do is believe in Jesus and that makes you good when you're dead. And it doesn't impact anything about while you're alive. And that's nominal Christian faith. And that is not what we find in the scriptures. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's been a great place for us to go where it has some really good summaries and it opens up some really good topics for us to discuss. How does our faith impact our lives? And that's what we've been exploring. And we're wrapping that up this week. Let me give you where we were last week and how it bleeds into this week because they are built upon one another. This week, and what we're doing, is very much a continuation of last week, okay? So last week, what we looked at in Romans 12 was the beginning of verse 2 when it said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's this command that we are no longer to live in the pattern of conformity to the world, in the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and pride and possessions, and looking for our hope in things like our 401ks, looking for hope in the things that make us look good and feel good, and in following every desire that we have in this world. But instead, we are to be transformed. And the only way that can happen is if we have received the mercy of God, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we come to His Word to see truth, and the Holy Spirit allows us to understand that truth, to receive that truth, and to do that truth. And that's what it means to have a renewed mind, a mind that's able to think about these things, that's able to accept these things, and able to obey these things. But a renewed mind results in something else as well. It results in the, the fullest continuation, the fullest result of a renewed mind is what he says next in verse 2. I'm going to start at verse 1, and we're going to read the whole passage, and then we'll, we'll emphasize the end of verse 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And here we go, and this is what we're looking at today. That by testing, you may discern... What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? I don't know a single Christian uh, that I've ever met uh, that has not at some point asked the question, God, what is your will in this? Um, God, what would you have me do in this situation? And so we, we're, we ask God's will for our lives when we're either faced with a choice that we need to make, like between a few different options and we're just not sure what to do, or we know that there's something that needs to happen and we just don't know what that is, or we, we ask God, God, what is your will when we don't, we don't come to a, a choice to make, but rather something comes to us and we are confronted face-to-face -face with a life situation that is hurtful, tough, challenging, and we just don't know what God is doing. And we just want to know, God, what are you doing here? What's your will in this? Why are you causing this to happen? Wanting to know God's will is a good thing. It's a question that you should ask. It shows that you want to know the mind of God, that you want to live within the confines of what God would have you do. You want to live a life that's pleasing to God. And so 
trying to, to understand God's will is, is not a bad thing. It's not a bad question to ask. Where we get in trouble is when we try to figure out God's will at times. Um, I don't know about you, but like, there's been some kooky things that I've done in the past to, uh, to figure out what God's will is for my life, right? Um, uh, sometimes what we'll do is we will uh, very commonly rely on a feeling that we get to know that something is God's will. We will uh, say, you'll, you've probably heard people say things like, I just have a peace about this, right? I just have a peace about this situation. I just feel like it's going to work out. Or they'll say, I don't feel comfortable moving forward because I don't have a peace about that. I don't think that that's, that's where I need to go. Well, the problem with that is that very much your emotions, your feelings, the way you feel about something, it's very much from your heart. And the Bible says that your heart is deceitful. We can't always trust our feelings. There's going to be situations all the time that God asks us to walk into that you're not going to feel calm about this. You're not going to feel at peace. It might cause you some turmoil, but that's still God's will that you go there. And so we can't rely on a feeling. Uh, maybe you've done this. I've done this. Maybe you've said, God, uh, if a certain situation meets uh, these uh, certain criteria, I will know that this is your will. Uh, for instance, uh, God, uh, I, I will know that this is the guy I'm supposed to marry uh, if he listens to vinyl records, uh, if he uh, is going to get his master's degree, and if he makes a lot of money, and if we go on three dates and he still doesn't try to kiss me, I'll know he's a holy man and it's the man I'm supposed to marry. And like we'll put criteria together like that and say, God, if, if this situation meets that criteria, then I will know this is your will. Um, let me know how that's worked out for you. That didn't work out for me, right? Um, I, you know, not, not with who I married. I married the right person. I tell you right now, it was God's will. <laughs> Praise him, right? <laughs> Men, you better say amen right now. It's your chance. It's your chance. I'm, giving, I'm feeding you these opportunities here, right? Those, op those things just don't work out because that's not how God communicates his will to us. But the encouragement of Romans 12 is that we can know God's will. He says that by discernment, you may, or sorry, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. It is possible for you to know God's will, and that should encourage you. But the question of asking God, what is your will for my life? You need to understand a little bit about God's will as it's found in Scripture, because believe it or not, God has more than one will. That's really interesting. It's a little confusing. Some, some heads turned a little bit. Like, huh? What? How's that possible? We've got to have more than one will. Let's, let's dive into this. Let's explain this. Let's see what Scripture says. First will of God is what is called his secret will, or it's his will by decree. It's God's will, God's desire that when God has a plan for something to happen, when God commands for something to happen, it by necessity happens. It is God's will. You can't thwart it. You can't get away from it. God says, let there be light. Light does not have an option to not be. It is. So God says, let there be light, and there is light. There's a passage in James chapter 4 that I was reflecting on this past week that talks about the will of God. In verse 13, it says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend your year there and make trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know the future. What is your life? 
For you are a mist that appears for a time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if this is part of God's plan, if this is part of what God wants to happen, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. We will live, and as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. The place that we see God's secret will of decree most evident and most clear in Scripture is when you think about the death of Jesus on the cross. All throughout the Bible, it looks forward to this death of Jesus. And then after it happens, it speaks as if it was the plan all along. God was not surprised by this. In Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to turn to all these places. I'm going to reference several scriptures. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is, this is right after Adam and Eve have sinned for the first time. God is there. He's pronouncing judgment on Adam, Eve, and Satan. And he says to Satan that uh, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. That is a prophecy that God's son would have his heel bruised. Satan would bruise him. Jesus would die but in his death, Satan would be crushed forever, and he would be defeated. That's looking forward. That's all the way at the beginning of the Bible. But then you have other places in Isaiah 53, verse 10, where it says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, the will of God, that Jesus die hundreds and hundreds of years before it was to ever happen. You have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, verse 30. And what does he pray to God, looking forward to his crucifixion? What does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. Not my plan, your plan be done. And then, you actually can turn here if you'd like to. It's Acts chapter 2. Peter, preaching the very first sermon on the day of Pentecost, is preaching to this group of people that was there. They've witnessed the death of Jesus. And in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 23, this is what he says. This Jesus, this is amazing. Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus was not plan B. Jesus was not a surprise. His death was not a surprise. His resurrection was not a surprise. It's part of God's plan from before time began. It was according to the definite plan plan of God. It was supposed to happen. He knew it was going to happen. He expected it to happen, and God, in his sovereign will over his creation, caused it to happen. We see other instances of God's sovereign will controlling his creation, his will of decree, his secret will. In Proverbs 21.1, it says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, hand of the Lord. He turns it Wherever he wills. The king's heart is in God's hands and God turns it wherever he wills it go. Daniel chapter 4 verse 35 says, He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Any effort that you put on to thwart the will and the plan of God that he has sovereignly over his creation will never work. It won't work. We also have a place in the New Testament where we see the will of God played out gloriously that should cause us to praise him in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. 
It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. When? Before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Listen to this. According to the purpose of his will. God has a will. He has a plan. And he is causing that plan to come about to happen. And that happens in our lives personally and gloriously in our own salvation. God's providential will is a display of his sovereignty over his creation. We can't thwart it. We can't change it. All we can do is let it happen to us and live in that will. This is God's secret will for a reason. It's because we don't know what his plan is. And quite honestly, it's not our business to know all of God's plan. Mark 13, 32 is an amazing verse because it contains something about the will of God that should surprise us. It talks about the secrecy of God's will that not e- did you know that not even Jesus knows everything about God's will? That should blow your mind because he's God. How does he not know his own will? But in Mark 13, 32, it says, concerning that day, he's talking about the day of judgment when Jesus will return. Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. God has a secret will. He has a plan, and he's bringing it about, and not everyone knows his will. We don't know his will. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, we see a comparison, though, because this should, should draw, drive us to a place where we're asking, okay, if God has this secret will, if we can't fully know God's will because it's his purposes, his timing, God's understanding that's deeper than ours, how is it that Romans 12, 2 says that we can know God's will? Well, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God has two wills. He has his secret will, but the good news is that we also have God's revealed will, God's will of command. It's not a decree of saying, do this and it be done. It is a law of command. God, you see, God's will of decree cannot be broken. You can't thwart God's will. God's law of command can be broken. We have received commands from God in his law, the Ten Commandments. You want to know what God's will is for your life? He says in Exodus, he gives Israel the Ten Commandments. He says, my will is that you do these things. That can be broken. You shall not lie. Well, you can lie. We know it's the will of God that we not lie, but we do lie at times, right? It's God's will that you not commit adultery, but we have committed adultery. We've lusted before. That happens. We can break this will of God. Second, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God. You want to know what God's will for your life is? Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his whole body, and so on and so forth. He lists these commands for us to follow as the revealed will of God. 
Anybody that thinks that they are going to fully understand God and who he is in this life is a fool. You're not. He is bigger than we will ever understand. He is grander than we, our minds can comprehend. But God has, in, a, in his own ways, revealed to us truths about himself and truths about his will. And the only place we can go to find that is his word. This. God has spoken through prophets. He's spoken through his son. He's spoken through the apostles to put together this whole book. Not just one part of it. The whole thing. And this is his revealed will to us. This is God's communication to us of what his will is for us to do, for us to live. It's the only source of God's revelation. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 Verse 16, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's given to us by God. And what? It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. God has given us his word so that we can live in obedience to it and fulfill its commands. Because it is in doing that that you are living in God's will for your life. I'm just going to break it to you. You're not going to know what God's secret will for you tomorrow is until it's tomorrow, until it happens to you. But you have this assured promise that you can know the will of God as it's revealed to you in Scripture. So this is where we get back into Romans 12 too, with this revealed will of God because what we talked about last week. So if you weren't here last week, it's going to be pretty important for you to go back and listen to last week's sermon because I don't have time to hash all that out again. So go back and listen to it. But this is why it's important for us to think about what it means to set our minds on the things of the Spirit so that our minds are renewed, we are made new, we are transformed in the image of Christ by the power of a renewed mind. Your renewed mind through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living in you, where you can now expose your mind to this, what it says. The Holy Spirit allows you to receive it to understand it, and to obey it. And the product of you having that Holy Spirit of a renewed mind is that if you actually expose your mind to this, you'll know what God's will is because you can understand this and you can obey it. But the end result, the end completion of this renewed mind is that by testing, he says in Romans 12 too, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. There's a very similar passage in the book of Hebrews chapter 5. Turn there with me real quick. Or poke there with me if you have a phone. There's a very similar passage in Hebrews 5 with very similar phrasing in verse 14 that says this. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by what? By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's amazingly simple to think that your ability to know God's will for your life is a skill that you attain by practicing it. So let's, let's unhash that. Let's talk about what that looks like and understand. So, um, if you 
all of us are familiar with having to learn new skills for different situations that we're put in. So like if you, if in your life you uh, maybe move up the scale at your work, you get a promotion and you're now put into a leadership position and you now need these new skills of leadership, not just to be a part of a team, but to lead a team. You're going to find pretty quickly that like, yeah, there might be people that are gifted a little bit with leadership, but for the most part, you're just going to have to learn a new set of skills of motivating people, of leading people, of at the same time holding them accountable, but also helping them and having, letting them have a good image of you. Sometimes that's not possible, but it just, it's a skill that you have to develop and that you grow into. Nobody's born a leader. You, in some way, develop those skills over time. Let's take something else. Playing an instrument, any kind of instrument. A guitar. Like, nobody just picks up a guitar. I mean, there might be like one or two people out there that are just gifted by the Holy Spirit, but that's not what we're talking about, right? But learning how to play the guitar, you don't just pick it up and do right? It happens over time. It's a skill you develop, right? Um, in, you know, in school, like if you play in band, like you have to constantly practice and practice and practice and practice to even become, you know, proficient. Sitting through a, a middle school band uh, concert can be brutal, right? But by the time you get to where these kids are seniors in high school, they sound pretty good. You want to know why? Because they practiced a lot. They've developed this skill over time, haven't they? But let's, let's take this example. This, this will fit into many of our minds. So if, if you were part of the construction project here where we came in and we renovated all this stuff and this you know, stage and these ceilings and all this stuff. So if you came on one of these big work days where there were a lot of people in here working, it would have been pretty easy. I'm telling you, it would have been pretty easy for you to point out who the people were that actually knew what they were doing, right? Because there are certain people that were here that do this kind of thing for a living, right? You've got like your Mike Rippies, you've got your Daniel Thylers, you've got your Joe Downs, you've got your Mike Rippies, uh, I'm sorry I mentioned, but like Josh Mattingly, you've got these people that do this stuff for a living and they come in here and you say, I want a stage right here. And they're like, okay, boop, done. Whereas like me, it would have taken me like weeks, or a month, or like you put them into this situation, and they, they say, I want a staircase to go upstairs in the back room. I don't want it right here. I want to take that out, and I want to move it right here. Okay, Mike Rippey and his brother, knock it out in like an hour. It would have taken me a month, if that. You want to know why? They do it for a living. It's a skill that they've acquired. It's knowledge. They know that the will is for there to be a staircase there, and they just know by second nature how to do it. They've been trained by constant practice. Knowing the will of God from this has got to be the result of your constant practice, constant interaction with this, knowing God's will, reading it, learning it, studying it, understanding it. And you will know this book contains very simple things for you to know what God's will is for your life. God, should I marry a stripper? No, pretty simple to get that from this book. God, should I take a job that is likely going to cause me to have to lie to accomplish that job? No, thou shalt not lie. That's pretty difficult, or it's not difficult at all. But what about the situations that the Bible doesn't exactly address? Like, cars didn't exist back in the times of the Bible, so 
God, I need to buy a new car. How am I going to know what car is the right car to buy? How am I going to know this is your will? How am I going to do that? Before we answer that question, because I think asking that question is the heart of Romans 12 too, and knowing the will of God. But when we just think about the fact that this is God's revealed will to us and that we can know it, I want to bring out two points of application for you right here. Number one is that if you're going to know the will of God, it's going to take two things. It's going to take consistency and it's going to take patience. I think one of the main reasons that more of us do not spend time reading God's word is because most of the time when we finally do sit down to read God's word, it's because we are faced with a, a situation where we would really like to know God's will. And so we start to sit down, we open up God's word, and we start reading it, hoping and praying and asking God that he would show us what he wants us to do. And the problem with that is that what you're trying to do is you're trying to pick up a guitar, come up here and lead worship on a Sunday when you've only practiced for a week. It takes constant practice. It takes consistency of doing this thing. So let me think about this situation. If you learn how to play guitar and you actually even get pretty good at it, but then you set it down for a year and you try to play it again, people out here that know how to play guitar, that have at least tried, is that going to work? Probably not. You've got to build back the muscle memory. You've got to learn the chords again. What I hear guitar players say all the time is you've got to build up these calluses on your hands to be able to not hurt when you play it. So, look, it doesn't matter if five years ago you were really constant in, like, reading God's word. Look, no, this isn't, this isn't something that you do just once. This is a skill that is continually developed, continually done. You've got to keep it up. You've got to keep it up, keep it up to where knowing God's will will be second nature to you because you are so familiar with the person of God that's found in this word. So be consistent, but also be patient. It's really hard if you've never actually read the Bible. And there's no shame in saying that you've never consistently read the Bible before. But when you pick it up and you actually do start reading it, like, look, I'm going to be honest with you. For the first six months, a lot of it's not going to make sense. Because the Bible is a book that is dynamic. It builds on itself. And it, it is hard to understand some parts because some parts are dependent on other parts that maybe you haven't read yet. Like, the New Testament is the fulfillment of things that are found in the Old. And so, if you're not familiar with the things of the Old Testament, it's going to be difficult to fully understand the things of the New Testament. The same way, the Old Testament finds all its fulfillment in the New. And if you read in the Old Testament, you're going to see this picture of God, and you're going to see these things of God. You're not fully going to understand because they are all foreshadowing the things that happen in the New Testament. And so, this is the reason why when you read the Bible, and you read the Bible over and over and over and over, again, a book of the Bible or a section of the Bible over and over and over again, I guarantee you every time you read it, you're going to notice something new. You're going to notice something different. And the reason is because you know more than you did the last time you read it. This is all one big web that is one big piece of God's revealed will to us. And the more you know one part of it, the more you're going to know another part of it. It takes patience to do that. You're not going to do it overnight. It's going to take time. This is also the reason why it is absolutely crucial for you into many ways, as many ways as you can, involve other people in your spiritual walk that are older than you, 
that are wiser than you and are more spiritually mature than you. Hebrews 5 says that your powers of discernment are honed, are trained by constant practice. Listen to me. A person that's been a Christian longer than you, they just have, they should have better powers of discernment. They should have been interacting with this longer than you have, and it should be easier for them for you to go and say, look, I don't know what God's will is for me in this, but I know that you've got a lot of life experience, and I know that you have been dedicating your life to knowing God's word. Can you help me try to figure out what this is? This is one of the main reasons why at Mercy Hill you're not going to find a whole lot of ministry that is age-segregated. Right? We have Mercy Kids in the morning. Right, We have the youth that do their thing on Sunday morning. But guess what? The youth are in here with us right now. This is why we don't segregate missional communities by age or by life stage. Because we know that, look, I am a, uh, an adult with a young family. I have a young family. You know what I need in my life? I don't need a bunch of other young families telling me what they're doing with their kids. Because they're at the same stage as me. You want to know what I want? I want people that are past me. I want people that have been there, done that. They can tell me how to raise my son in a godly way. I don't want to be friends. I mean, I do want to be your friend if you're a young married person. But I don't want to be friends with just a bunch of young married people. I want to be friends with a bunch of old married people. Because I want to know what I'm going to have to do to make my marriage last. That's what will be truly valuable to me. Put yourself in situations where you are around older saints that know God's word and have been living in his will for longer than you've been alive. That will be a blessing to you. You can even take it a step farther and ask a person that's older than you, wiser than you, to be your one-to-one. So that you can come to them and ask, look, man, I don't know what God's will is for me in this situation. Speak into my life, bro. Tell me if I'm being stupid here. Because I need you to tell me that. The end result of this If you fill your mind with God's word and you come to this and you're consistent and you are patient, what's eventually going to happen, and this is getting at the crux of Romans 12 too, is that over a period of time, it will get easier for you to know God's will because it says, by testing, by coming to situation after situation after situation after situation, and by continually studying God's word, reading through it, understanding it, and therefore knowing God's word, this power of the renewed mind that you have, eventually you will get to the point where you are confronted with a situation, and it's not hard to know what God's will is. Because you've spent so much time with God, you know what he would tell you to do. It's like having a friend that you've had for a lifetime and, you know, they, you're, you're going, you have to go to McDonald's and order some food. Or maybe they don't like McDonald's, and, but you, the only reason you know that is because you've been friends with them so long. And they say, hey, pick up some food on your way over here. You don't even have to say, what do you want? Because you know what they want. You know they don't want McDonald's. You know they don't want fast food. You know they want a Panera salad or something like that. You know what they like. You know what pleases them. You don't have to ask them. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to sit in your car for 30 minutes and pray that their will would be revealed to you, do you? You already know their will. How do you know their will? Because you know them. If you don't view God as this far-off entity that you can't know, but instead you view God as a person that you know that you have a relationship with, 
And if you actually spend time with him, his will will become clear to you. But the only way that you can spend that time with God is by spending time with the will that he has actually revealed to you. So let's just ask this question. How can I know the will of God? Well, what I just told you, by saturating your mind with his word and become transformed by it over time and by this power that you now have of the Holy Spirit living in you and this renewed mind that you have tested. You've attained this skill, but it needs honing. And as you've honed it and you're confronted with a situation, you will know God's will. That's number one. Number two, you need to determine to say yes to God's will before you know what it is. Let me explain that. Determine to say yes to God's will before you know what it is. It is more important for you to have already made up your mind that you are going to obey God's will when you finally do figure out what it is. That's really important. Because, let me, let me pose this to you. Let me just throw this at you. You can take it for what it is. So many of you would be able to better know God's will for your life if you simply did one thing. Give up control. For many of us, our desire to know God's will for our life is not a desire to know God's will so that we can do it. It's a desire to know God's will so that we can maintain control of our lives, so that we can feel safe, so that we can feel okay. And that's not godly. God asks us to offer our lives as a sacrifice, right? To give ourselves to him. And our goal in life should not be to know everything that's going to happen so that we can feel safe and secure. Our goal in life is, God, whatever you are calling me to, I'm yours. The answer is yes. What do you want from me? Yes, I'll do it. How do you want me to live? I'll do it. Because you are my God. It's so important for you to do this because, let me tell you something, the will of God in your life is going to cause you to have difficult conversations, to make tough choices, to make major life changes. And if you do not, from the beginning, determine that, God, whatever your will is, I'm going to be obedient to it. You want to know what's going to happen? You're going to weave and weasel your way out of doing the will of God. And you're going to find a way to not do it. If you're going to seek to live within the will of God for your life, you need to first say to God, God, I don't know what your will is going to be for my life. I don't know where you're going to lead me. But right now, what I do know is that you are a faithful creator and I entrust my soul to you. 1 Peter 4.19, that's where that comes from. It says, therefore, let those who suffer, what? According to God's will. Entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God calls us to live lives of faith. That's actually going to make you have to step out on a limb sometimes. Think about what Jesus prayed. You know, oftentimes when, when I, I tried to did like this poll on Facebook about like how do you try to figure out the God, God's will in your life, almost every person said prayer. But, that, and that's good, you should pray. But, I think the key is, what is it that you're praying for? Are you just praying for God to tell you 
what his will is? Well, here's the thing. Is that how Jesus prayed? Is that how Jesus taught his disciples to pray? In the Garden of Gethsemane, did, did Jesus say, God, would you just tell me clearly what you want me to do here? No. That's not what he prayed. He said, God, not my will, but your will. He knew what God's will was, and he wasn't praying that it would be revealed to him. He prayed for help to obey it. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus prayed, did, did he pray, your kingdom come, tell me your will on earth as it is in heaven? No. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayers should not just be filled with this request to know God's will for our life. It should be filled with a request for help to be obedient to God's will in our lives. And then last, I'll finish up with this, I promise. Just make a decision, man. Just do something. Have you ever seen one of those movies where it has like this, in the very beginning, it's like this glimpse of the future and the rest of the movie is about the people, the characters in the movie trying to make sure that the future happens or make sure that the future doesn't happen. And in almost every single one of those movies, how's it go? By their efforts to try and thwart the future that they saw, they make it happen, don't they? Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that should be very freeing to you. You're not going to mess up God's will for your life. Because... He's already purposed it. He's already, he's already made it to what it's going to be. And sometimes, look, it, it, let me just tell you, it's going to come down to this at times where you have been consistent in spending time with God. You have known God. You have studied his word. You've consulted other people that are older, wiser than you, that know more of God's word than you, and they've given you their input, and you still don't know what job to pick. You still don't know if you should take a career change. You still don't know what college you should go to. You still don't know what house to buy. So just make a choice. You're not going to mess anything up. It'll be okay. You'll still be able to live within God's will for your life, living in this house or that house, at this job or that job. You'll be fine. Just make a choice. Pull an eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Hold a finger behind your back and say to your spouse, what finger am I holding up? Pick between one and two, and that's what we'll do. That's what it looks like to live a life of faith. Say, God, I don't know what you got going on, but I trust you. I think it'll happen. Let's pray. God, you are our faithful creator, and Lord, we, your creatures, Your word says that you have put eternity into our hearts. God, we know that you have a will. And we know that you desire for us to live in it. To follow the pattern that you've laid out for our lives, God. And we, as your children, do desire that. Father, would you... Grant us renewed minds that we then dedicate to coming to know you. Not as this entity that has simply given us rules to follow and our lives become a constant battle to follow a set of rules. 
But Father, would you reveal yourself to us through your word as a personal creator, a personal will giver, our God, our Father. Lord, for the times in our life where we don't need to just know your will, we need to submit to your will. Father, would you help us do that? God, would you help us submit ourselves to your plan and recognize that our lives are not about our own plans. It is about you and your glory and the purposes. God, we have been set apart, set, set apart for the purposes of your will, of what you would accomplish through us. Lord, make us willing servants to accomplish your will. Lord Jesus, would you help us in this? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, what we do at the end of our services...